Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a conversation around what's going on in the equities market, and uh, particularly for some of the smaller counters, a lot of um, attention tends to be on uh, the top 40 stocks on the JSC. Uh, but uh, today, we're looking at a discussion that uh, broadens our horizons around some of the other options that are there outside um, of uh, some of the large stocks and then our guest for today that is uh, Vanessa van Furen um, uh, letting us know that some of these uh, smaller capped companies have actually um, done well in the market and how they are doing it um, on their end and some of their their thinking and investment philosophy from that point of view. Vanessa is the portfolio manager now for the SIM small cap fund um, over at Sunlum Invest Investments. Vanessa, greetings to you today. Greetings, Madiwe. Um, now we have uh, some acronyms that we need to work our way through here. You are a portfolio manager. This is, uh, as I said, um, uh, you're calling it the SIM Small Cap Fund. And uh, I think Sunlamp is one of those brands that uh, everyone understands and you know knows about big in South Africa. Uh, but from a Sunlamp Investments point of view, when we're talking about the SIM uh, Small Cap Fund, um, what is that? And, um, you know, what, how is it, how is it composed at the moment? Okay, cool. So SIM stands basically for Sunlum Investment Management. So it's effectively our, we are the subgroup of the Sunlum group of the Sunlum Investment Cluster, essentially. Um, the old name, it used to be Sunlum Asset Management. Now it's uh, Sun, Sim, Sunlum Investment Management. And our fund basically falls within the um, grouping of retail products that we have out there. It's a retail orientated product. So it's for, you know, any, any person in the street can basically purchase the product like a typical unit trust in units. Um, and we do have institutional clients in the fund potentially as well, but it is predominantly a retail based product. Okay, cool. So basically, the ordinary South African, you know, being given access to some of these, uh, uh, some of these funds, and I guess if one is to think of it like a unit trust, you know, you you don't have to have that much money to go and purchase some of those uh, higher block stocks. I'm thinking the one that always comes to my mind is Naspers, the price of one Naspers share. <laughs> so with that, just keen to understand though. Just from an entry point of view, where do I enter? Hundred rand, a thousand rand, you know, where how at what level do I enter? I think it's quite low. I mean, through I mean you can buy the fund directly online through Sunlum management company, um, Sunlum Collective Investments um Manco. And I think it's it's as low as I think you know, a couple of hundred rand debit order to get into the product if you want to invest in it. So um obviously there's different fee structures. So if you come in at a smaller amount, you'll pay the full retail fee. If you come in as an institutional client, you'll pay the retail um, the institutional type of rate. So depending on the volume of assets you put in. But yeah, I mean you could really start saving at a very low level, a couple of hundred rand a month, definitely. 
Now, because we are talking about what's going on in the equity space, um, you guys are highlighting uh, the small cap type of stocks. Um, for someone who's trying to, I guess, understand, could you put small caps into into context? What are we talking about when we when we talk about um, you know small caps? I think people understand the top forty, you know, your first rands, your MTNs, Vodacoms, and the like, uh, and Naspers. I think that one is you know no doubt huge. Uh, out there but when we're talking like small cap what are we talking about so the small caps are basically and it's actually both areas small i'm going to call it small and mid caps because it's effectively our what we can invest in in this fund and that is essentially everything outside of what the jc categorizes as large cap and large cap is typically the domain of the top 40, but it is an, actually a separate index that's calculated by the JSC. So if you take a look at the typical uh, SWIX, the SWIX, the main sort of all share, SWIX all share, um, it's divided into large cap, mid cap, and small cap. And the mid cap and the small cap makes up about 120 stocks of that index. So it's very big in volume, um, and it's but it can be very small in market cap. So obviously your large cap dominates, you know, north of 80 to 90% of the value of the SWIX all share. Um, but then the smaller mid caps are smaller in, 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 in volume. I mean, smaller in value, but much higher in volume. So it's, it's a big universe. It's a broad universe. So you need to do, it's not a very well covered universe. So you also need to do a lot of your own work and your own digging because generally guys focus, like you say, on the top 40 and the larger area of the market. Yeah. Yeah, I think even in our work, because we, we cover companies across, you know, from the large to mid to small, uh, we often uh, do see that um, coverage when it comes to some of these smaller companies, even those in the mid um, range does become a bit tough. Just trying to find out who actually invests in this thing, who's actually got up to date information and, you know, um, commentary and thinking around it. So I definitely understand and I can imagine that for the the retail investor, uh, that's one of those things that, um, you know, does become an issue. Now, with all of that in mind now, what's, what is the case for investing in, in small to mid cap companies right now? Because like we said, there is this huge focus on the big, large caps. Uh, but your argument is to say, actually, these smaller companies, you know, have actually done well over the last maybe two or so years. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, that's the ultimate question. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. I think on the one hand, you've got to consider it structurally within your portfolio. So there's an argument to be made around that for those who are allocating money to equities on a broad spectrum, that it is an area of the market that can be typically very mispriced and can be misunderstood, which would then lead to opportunities of mis of mispricing that are significant. And when those when those pricing gaps correct, you can make really, really good returns effectively. That's the first argument. And that sort of links to the traditional sort of small cap premium argument um, of portfolio construction, where people think about that they can extract a greater return out of these faster growing smaller businesses. So that's the one argument. The other side of the argument, which is probably a lot more pertinent in the current environment, is what about the cyclical element? And the cyclical element is the fact that we are contending with a really tough macroeconomic backdrop at the moment. So I think, you know, you're going to probably delve into with me, you know, but how South Africa looks really tough at the moment. And these are South African-based sensitive companies. And that's the bottom line. So you have to, I think at the moment, this investing in small caps at the moment, you have to have 
your sort of long-term hat on, that number one is very important because we are going through a rocky environment. We're going through a tough GDP environment. We know that we might even go into recession this year in South Africa. And in that, in, under those conditions and circumstances, it will continue to be out of favor as a broad area of investment focus, in my opinion. Um, and that in itself will create the opportunities for investors who have a long-term orientation and are willing to stomach the sort of shorter-term volatility. And it's our job then to select those investments on behalf of our clients, prospective clients and clients within the fund that will pay off in the next three to five years um, through this volatility. So that's that's how I would look at the case for small caps at the moment. I consider the cyclical risks versus the fact that structurally it makes sense to always have a little bit of exposure in your portfolio or in your investment, your personal investments to this area of the market, which is giving you potentially higher returns in the long term. One of the conversations that we've actually been having quite a bit is around um, investor mindsets, right? Um, that ability to stomach some of the short, uh, short-term short volatility uh, that tends to be part of uh, the world of investing. If you're an institutional investor, you understand the market has peaks and troughs, uh, but over time, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, your equity markets are trending upwards. Um, but I'm interested to understand from a client point of view, the normal retail tailor that is your customer, right? Do they care as much about that those those dips that do that do come? Um, as in, if there's a, if there are dips in the market, are they actively sitting there and say, "Hey, please, no, like get rid of this thing," or? Is it because it's a managed type of investment that they just say, you know what, uh, it's like um, a hands-off approach? Because I can imagine that if you are the active retail investor yourself who's investing in these stocks, you probably are sitting there and selling and panicking and all that. I guess I'm just trying to understand the difference between someone who's actively investing versus someone who's trusting a, a fund manager such as yourselves, you know, to, inv- to invest in some of these companies. The person who's choosing the, the, the managed route of going through someone like you, are they sitting there twiddling their thumbs looking at the markets on a daily basis and panicking? Or are they just, you know, out of sight, out of mind and, you know, whatever. Whatever happens, happens. I'll get my statement um, every quarter and, you know, oh, okay, it's up, it's down, whatever. To be honest, Madiwa, I hope that they are the latter because <laughs> I think that they need that kind of stomach for this type of investing because it can be very volatile in the short term. Having said that, I mean, my honest experience is the only way I can gauge it is to say to you, okay, what are my clients doing in the fund? Am I getting panic calls? Are we seeing big withdrawals, et cetera? And I can say to you, no. So it it feels like, but our fund is small and it hasn't grown in size over the last sort of 10 years. It isn't really attracting much investor interest from, you know, it's it's not a fund that's you know, got it getting huge inflows all the time. It's been pretty stable over time. So um, I feel like there's sort of a base of investors that have stuck it out and are just sticking it out now in the longer run. We haven't seen volatile outflows out of the portfolio, to be honest, even under the current conditions in the last few months where load shedding has escalated and, you know, the RAND has blown out and there's been a number of market events. Um, so I would, I, I hope that it feels like it's a more mature customer that is looking to, 
invest for the long run, has a longer term investment horizon, they set up a debit order, is happy to close their eyes and say, you know, I'll look in five, 10 years time at my statement type of thing, or maybe once a year. Um, because that is the type of ideal client we would hope for in this product. Um, you know, the guys that are switching and jumping and, uh, you know, I think, yeah, then th this is not the ideal type of product for them. Mm. It is an interesting space, um, you know, right there. And at least you're giving us that context to say at least for your fund, there isn't um, that panic selling or, you know, large inflows. Um, and you guys have experienced quite a bit of uh, stability. Uh, but the other piece to understand is the composition of the portfolio itself. Because we're talking about companies that are outside of what's considered to be large, keen to understand what happens if a company moves, right? Let's say you are a, uh, a what you call this, I can see a case where a large, a large cap perhaps shrinks down, maybe there's uh, restructuring that's happening, maybe there's um, a, maybe there's uh, um, demerging that's happening, maybe there's unbundling, maybe there's all this stuff happening and you end up having a, what used to be a large cap, you know, coming down in value becomes an opportunity for your fund. But if a stock is in your fund and it goes the other direction, becomes too big, right? Do you get rid of it or do you keep holding on to it because it effectively, you know, grows the size of your fund, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, there are rules around it in terms of how, so the, basically the Cisco rules are the Collective Investment Schemes Act will govern the mandates of the product effectively. And what, so we can't buy anything that is today that's in the large cap space. Okay. But should a stock migrate from mid into large, we can hold onto it and we're not forced to sell it, which is great. So there is a beauty in, in that allowance because then if you believe that there's still upside in the stock, even though it's maybe not true to label and it's like now it's a large cap, large cap in a small cap fund, you may still believe in the investment case. You may still have not yet reached your intrinsic value assessment of a company. So you'd want to hold onto it until you realize your value. And the, and the, the legislation around the fund allows us to do that. So you'll see even in our portfolio, we've got a stock like Northern Platinum which is now a top 40 stock. We wouldn't be able to replicate and buy more of it today, but we are not selling it because we believe in the long-term investment case. So that gives you just an idea of how we think about it. Um, and obviously we've been major beneficiaries of the other move that you described initially of that. I mean, some of the darlings of the, the old large caps are now sitting, you know, languishing in the very fledgling area of the JSC, which is the index one below the small cap side. So that's like your really, we call it sort of the nursery of the stock, the equity stock. And, um, and you know, companies like Nampak and stuff that used to be in the glory days, big, big companies are sitting down there. So we're also that great that we get the benefit of as companies come down, they come into our universe. So um, it's moving all the time up and down. But that's that's roughly how we deal with it from a regulatory perspective. Okay. At least we understand that. Uh, I, I like the fact that there is that allowance that if... if yeah, we're not yeah. forced to sell. That's great. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you can you can still take advantage of whatever upside is able to come, um, you know, into into the future. I'm pretty sure that you know people that were holding on to, I don't know, Tungela uh, five years ago versus today are probably still just 
you know, teeth outshining, like, you know, this is the best thing that's happened. And it, it's nice to take advantage of those cases, those stories when they do, um, you know, come about like the Northern um, example that you gave um, just now. Now, the two key things that I think we do need to touch on for this uh, conversation is obviously which type of companies or which companies have have have, uh, have been shining, um, you know, in your fund. But before we get that, before we get to that point, we need to deal with the macro. And you've already touched on the fact that the macro in South Africa, the macro in South Africa, macroeconomic environment is not great. Um, interest rates are pretty high right now. Um, a lot of your um, consumer-facing businesses are at the mercy of the pressure of con of consumer pockets, um, and those are increasingly under pressure. Um, the, the the outlook isn't great, and if you are a small to mid cap, in a lot of cases, you have a big piece of your revenue pie that is coming from South Africa or is tied to the fortunes of South Africa. So yeah, your view just around uh, the economic outlook for South Africa and how that feeds into um, your investment philosophy. Okay, great question. I mean, number one, um, I'm gonna you know, cut it short there, the outlook is not good. I mean, I think we can be completely honest with each other. I will be smoking something if I say to you, you know, the outlook for SA Inc is fabulous, because it's not. Um, and it's probably, you know, the most challenging it's been in a few years. I mean, it's probably even worse than COVID if you think about the conflation of events, because at least in COVID, we had a relief from interest rates. It felt like a sort of a, you know, it was sort of a short-term fee-shaped kind of scenario. Um, this has been a sort of a slow bleed and something like ESCOM um, can linger. And we know that it can continue to be a pressure on the margin of the economy. So I would say that, you know, macro-wise, it looks very bleak for the next 12 to 18 months. That would be my view. Um, we are expecting very low to potentially negative GDP growth this year. And then the next year, moving back to trend growth of 1%, which, by the way, is, is shocking. I mean, if you consider that if we want our com SA companies to do well, we need sort of north of 3% type GDP growth in this environment to get that. So um, with that in mind, the way we are thinking about the portfolio is like extra, extra emphasis on risk management effectively, because what you'll find is that the broad macro environment is not helping us, right? So we know that. So we can't depend on growth in revenue that's GDP, GDP caused. Um, we've got to look for ideas within the portfolio that are insulated somewhat from the broader macro or have some sort of business model aspect that makes them you know, they're undergoing some recovery or something. And I'll give you an example, like, for example, the hotel and leisure industry is a great example, the gaming industry, which has been recovering post-COVID. So it's kind of divorced itself from the broader um, macro pressures that you're seeing in the rest of the, the SA in context. Um, so big emphasis on risk management and making sure that we avoid the, the big luck catastrophes that can come out of this of this current SA Inc. environment. I mean, what I will say is the prospects of a grid failure scenario are horrendous. We have to run that scenario through our thinking in, our, in terms of our companies that we invest in. It is a remote, at this point in time, it's been guided as a remote possibility that it's not it's not a realistic scenario that's going to happen because ESCOM is low shedding to avoid that. But having said that, we have to think about that. If that happens, it is going to be a very negative outcome for the SA Inc. So I will just put that risk on the horizon as something that I think we can't even give you an answer of the impact of that, okay? 
um, it's 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 going to be potentially a, a big issue. But that aside, if it's just load shedding, load shedding will be improved next year. And then our view is that from that point onwards, there will be a lot of costs that come out of companies that are sitting there at the moment, and you will start to see that recovery come through. So we're in a doom and gloom for the current sort of six to 18 month, year and a half period. And thereafter, we see an improvement. So, um, and we're thinking about it that way. We're thinking about our companies that way. We're saying the strongest business models will survive and we're going to invest in those. And that's effectively how, how we're thinking about the portfolio construction in that realm. Yeah, it's an interesting view to take. And especially if one is looking out um, that time horizon that you're talking about, 18 months, um, 18 months on, I'd even stretch it to 36 months, you know, to say that... Uh, especially uh, the example that you gave um, around the costs. You know, a lot of balance sheets have been affected by um, load shedding and trying to mitigate for that cost. But if, if a business is lucky, a lot of those costs become one-off costs because you're investing in, you know, power generation or whatever it is, um, you know, that you're doing. And hopefully... You know, it's not recurring because, um, yeah, hopefully it's not recurring. And over time, once ESCOM, you know, gets its act together, you can start, you know, coming back um, and recovering some of those costs over time. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting one um, because we, I guess we've focused quite a bit on the cost pressures that companies have felt during this time. Uh, but one does have to account for the fact that at some point there will be a reversal. It might take time. But a reversal, you know, will come, um, you know, over time. What I'm less, what's the word I'm looking for? Resolve. Hopeful about yeah. <laughs> is the, is the, what do you call this, is the GDP case. Simply because even before COVID, we were trending, I think at the time, I, I'm remembering February, March 2020, I think uh, a lot of consensus was a growth outlook of around 0.91% somewhere there. And at the moment, we, we seem to be literally back at the same place, uh, albeit with worse conditions, um, like, your, like, your, like your load shedding and all that. Uh, but we wait to see how that's, uh, you know, that's uh, going to happen over time. So with everything that we've just spoken about in mind, you have found a couple of gems, a couple of jewels. Um, what's interested me about um, some of the companies that you guys, um, you know, noted as having been um, companies that have done well. Um, I'm thinking of, uh, I think here you have five companies that have done well. Um, famous brands, Omnia, Sun International, Ruinet, and Raynet. A couple of them um, stick out to me because I think they speak to what you spoke about just now, like Sun International. I'm guessing that's a beneficiary of what you're talking about just now to say that your uh, your gaming and you know your tourism piece and all that is now recovering and no longer tied. Am I understanding that one correctly? 100% correct, yeah. Okay, cool. And then uh, famous brands, I think for me, is the one I'm very interested to understand. How are they doing well in an environment, especially because they fall into that cons into that consumer market where literally they it's a consumer-facing business? 100%, yeah. So they would be, I mean, definitely, you'd, you'd naturally can intuitively think, okay, they're consumer-facing, they'd be under pressure. But ironically, they've actually been 
they've just generated. I mean, they put out their results this morning. It was an absolutely phenomenal performance. Um, it's not it's not well covered by the market, so we couldn't compare it to market expectations. But our sense is they beat our own internal expectations. And for them, it's in the case of load shedding. If you consider that most of their portfolio would have backup generation, if you are, you know, you get home from work and your power is out. You might just decide to go and get some takeout as a family, for example. And I think so at the margin, they've actually benefited from that particular dynamic. So it's, again, it's an example of something that's unique to their model that would give them some insulation to this load shedding theme. It's almost on the other side of everybody else being nailed by load shedding effectively. They would potentially benefit. It comes at a higher cost to the franchisees to run the diesel, et cetera. And they will um, compensate their franchisees for that, but their volumes are good. And at the same time, they're still recovering off a back end of COVID, uh, KZN floods, July riots, all those things that happened that that are in the base. So um, there's also that element that's coming through. So they were still recovering because the whole tourism and leisure and hospitality industry has been is at the back end of a multi-year recovery from the, the absolute pounding that that industry took during COVID. So um, I think that's that's a unique scenario. Um, and the business is just an exceptionally well-run well business. It's got an incredible portfolio of brands. Um, it's got both on the casual dining and on the, the QSR, quick service restaurant takeout side. And so you're dealing with a business that in my opinion, is naturally more resilient in this environment. People will go to those brands, they're familiar, they're well-known, um, and that has added to the appeal of the investment case. And added to that, overlay all of that, the price was very low in our opinion. So the price never really recovered from sort of the post-COVID levels, and it still hasn't recovered. Hence why we still hold it as one of the bigger holdings in our portfolio, because we believe it's worth a lot more than it's currently trading at. So that's a great example. So when you're looking at a company like Famous Brands and the fact that they have done so well um, in an environment, one of the things that um, I've noticed, the companies that are doing well in this environment, they do uh, take time to let you know in their results statement that we have done well despite hard, <laughs> despite a tough or challenging macroeconomic environment, right? Um, I guess we must give uh, what you call this credit where it's due that they've done well in a tough environment. Does famous brands then become the only one in the sector that you invest in, or do you then take a position to say, huh, we could just you know, invest across the sector because a lot of the fundamentals are likely going to be going to be the same. So, I mean, in terms of our process, it's important to touch on. I mean, we basically have around 35 to 40 stocks in the portfolio. So that's our level of concentration. Um, and I generally don't take a sector top-down approach. I take more of a bottom-up approach. So we're looking for individual ideas where we see lots of upside and we have a particular investment case. In the case, it just so happens that to your point about the sectors being certain sectors having defining characteristics. So let's take uh, tourism and hospitality. We do have quite a high exposure in the portfolio to that. We've got exposure to Sun International, Southern Sun Hotels, um, famous brands, and Toho Sun Gaming, all four of those stocks. And, and that is also a function of the bottom-up valuation that we see in those stocks and the fact that we feel that they will be a little bit more insulated against the dynamics, the broader dynamics of the SA economy that we're seeing. That's not to say that they're not going to be unscathed in the next year. I mean, I think they've all put through strong results now that's in the history, 
going forward, it's still, we're expecting things to be tough, to be challenging. And we are building that into our forecasts. But then even on that scenario, we're still getting good upside. So um, you will, so that's again, just again, how we're thinking about managing, navigating the macro by having exposure to particular industries and particular companies within those industries that we think are going to hold up better. Because you could have, I mean, we could buy Spur as well as an option versus famous brands. It's also a listed option. So it, we chose famous brands effectively. But Spurs also had phenomenal results, really strong performance, and they've done well. It's just a little bit less liquid from an investment point of view. It really sounds like a, one has to have discipline, you know, when approaching the markets uh, from this point of view. You, you, As you said, you guys could have gone and invested in a company like Spur and say, no, we're going to take advantage. But, um, you know, you hedge your bets and you say, okay, cool, we do believe uh, that these fundamentals are going to play out, but we will expose ourselves to, you know, maybe one of these counters um, and then take it forward from there. Um, a counter that I'm particularly interested to get your take on is Ruinet. Uh, they are a technology company and uh, very interested because they have been doing well, uh, but they're doing well in an environment where we're seeing a lot of delistings of uh, uh, technology companies, particularly in that valuation bracket. So yeah, your take just around that one. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's just in the perfect sweet spot of contending with the current environment. If you consider that there are three main lines of business is effectively, I mean, on the one side, there's the weapons and the defense side, which you can already see a scenario where that order book a pipeline is full with heightened geopolitical tension around the world. That's one element. Then there is the, um, the um, electric cable side which has had a really, really tough time. And it was about that business recovering and getting a better order book. And obviously we're starting to see ESCOM spend now on transmission, et cetera, et cetera. So that's propping that business up. And then you've got the third, the electronic side and the IT side, which is also a reasonable business. And then they've got this new renewable side as well. And again, if you look at the investment case for the renewable side, where they're doing sort of turnkey solutions there, Again, an area of significant insulation because that is a natural beneficiary of what's going on with ESCOM. So, and it, and when we selected Roynet, I mean, we bought most of our investment sort of middle of last year. So we were a little bit early into it. Um, and we've done well out of it, but we still see some more upside potential. Um, but we bought it when it was completely beaten down and people were thinking, okay, we don't like the quality of this business. We don't like the cables business, et cetera, et cetera. And those are the types of opportunities we were looking for because we could, See, and as, as load shedding increased, and we could see that there's big opportunity and scope for their renewables investment with this new business that they've invested in. Um, you can just start to see all, all the cards falling in place for the business. And hence they've put out a really nice trading update and the thesis has come through. So it's the type of idea that we're looking for again, going back to that theme that I keep touching on around how we can invest in stocks that will protect us from the very weak macro because they have unique product lines that are in demand, irrespective of what's going on in the macro. And it's about us doing the work to make sure that we understand that about each company we invest in. All right. So it has been a very fascinating, you know, discussion around uh, the small to mid cap um, block of, um, you know, equities, um, just touching on uh, the potential um, that is in that particular market. And especially just given the fact that um, we talk about um, so many, uh, what you call the so many people having that focus on uh, the large cap companies, there is uh, some of the potential um, on the 
small to mid cap side and uh, also uh, a, a also just understanding the um, the mandate the, how the portfolio is being structured also at the same time what happens if something becomes bigger or smaller uh, I thought that was you know very interesting and then um, trying to understand the macroeconomic environment because a lot of these businesses um, are tied uh, have their fortunes tied to the South African economy and just taking a sobering look at that but even in such a tough environment um, Vanessa is actually just highlighting the fact um, that there are businesses that have done well you know you we look at load shedding um, and how terrible it is but uh, for certain types of businesses it's actually you know been one of those things that has um, been pushing things well one can think about coal companies during this time I saw you know Omnia being one of the companies we didn't touch on it uh, but it's one of the companies that's on their list we spoke about renewables and how that's doing well for Ronet um COVID-19 and, you know, some of the recovery doing well for the gaming and tourism sector and then uh, famous brands and how they've done well in an environment where people are recovering from from COVID-19, but there's load shading as well. So despite what things look like on the face of things, um, if you just dig a little bit deeper, um, there is a lot of uh, gems that people can find um, on the local stock market. So that's been it. Very fascinating discussion. Uh, we were talking uh, to uh, Vanessa Van Furen, uh, who is from Sunlam Investments. Uh, she is a portfolio manager for the Sunlam Investment Management's um, small cap, uh, small cap fund. Did I say that uh, that acronym correctly? It's it's Sunlam Investment Management, right? You did, hundred percent. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vanessa. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from my and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.